Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Thank you. Thank you for that welcome. It's great to be here. It's, actually, it's always um, humbling for the opportunity to just talk about God's Word and open that together uh, with His people. How many of you know where Spokane is? Wow. You're an incredibly well-educated group. I grew up in Southern California. I couldn't have found Spokane with Google. Partly because Google didn't exist at that point, but that's besides the point. It's, it's way up there. And like yesterday, I was down here, right? And, and you almost hit 100 degrees. I just want, we went through like a 14-week span in the winter where if you added up every day of the week, cumulatively, we never got to 100. You are living the dream down here, at least for a few more weeks, and then... I'm told some other things happened with the heat at that point. My wife, Rochelle, couldn't be here uh, today, which is sad for two reasons. One, she would love being here uh, as a part of this church and the feel and the vibe and the atmosphere of God's presence here. She would miss that. Um, Also, it's sad because, frankly, people like me better when she's around. She's very good for me that way. She's the best part of my life. Um, I want to talk this morning uh, about what it takes to take those great moments that God brings us and to transform those into something that's more than, a, more than just a moment, but it becomes this movement going forward that you just can't stop. I, you know, I'm, I'm watching people getting baptized over here this morning. I'm thinking, what a great moment for them and for us to celebrate that with them. Last weekend at Easter at our church, we did baptisms. We baptized a bunch of people, and in the middle of it, uh, a young lady named Sadie kind of snuck out and around and and said, would you be able to baptize me too today? And we had a very quick but meaningful conversation. She declared her faith in Jesus Christ and just expressed that, I know I didn't come prepared to get baptized. I'm not dressed to get baptized. Nobody knows I'm getting baptized, but I have to do it. I have to say yes to Jesus. I've got to have this moment. And we said, of course we'll baptize you. And so she went into the tank fully clothed, and we dunked her, and she was crying, and her sister was, it was amazing. It was an amazing moment. But if that's all that it was, I and Sadie and the whole church, and I assume Jesus, are going to be really disappointed, because a moment like that isn't meant to stand alone. A moment like that is moved to, to blossom and multiply as it comes forward and become something long-standing, long-term, of becoming a real movement that way. And the question is, what does it take for that to happen, right? Because probably many of us have had moments in our lives, maybe moments with the Lord, that were just so powerful and so real and so undeniable. We just felt like, I'm here and it's great and it's marvelous. God has met me here. And then we've probably also had the experience at points of some of those experiences not amounting to a whole lot as we move forward. And we don't want that to happen. We want every moment that God gives us to move forward towards a, towards a movement of God's grace that's undeniable. What does it take to make sure that that happens? Well, we're going to look as our example at Acts chapter 2 in the life of the early church and how they experienced a very powerful mov- movement, but by God's grace and their diligence, it became something that was much more than that. Uh, Acts chapter 2 begins with the story of Pentecost. It's that moment after Jesus' earthly ministry was complete, He was done. He'd been crucified. He'd risen again from the dead. He'd ascended to heaven. Before going, he had told his church, wait 
for the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send you. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to remind you of the things I've told you. He's going to empower you. Wait for him. I'm sending him to you. And so they did. They waited and they waited and they waited and they're gathered in an upper room praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit and God sends the Holy Spirit and he empowers them in that moment in a dynamic, great way that made a huge difference and kind of spilled out out of the upper room into the streets below, into the public and people walking by were going, what is going on? And Peter took that opportunity to say, I will tell you what is going on. And he he seized the moment and told him about the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, told him about what Jesus had done in his life and in his death, proclaimed his resurrection, told the people that this meant they had the opportunity to be free from the power of sin and what it held over their lives. And they were compelled by Peter's message to ask, what must we do to, to receive that? What must we do to be saved? And he says, you must repent and be, and be baptized. And that day, 3,000 people on the spot said, yes, we're in. They repented. They were baptized. They came to faith, and the church was born. And that was an incredible moment. But if that moment had existed just for itself, if it hadn't moved forward, if it hadn't become the church, which is this chain of, of existence from then to right where we sit here in this room today, it would have been a huge disappointment. If I want to look at the passage in Acts chapter 2 that maybe gives us some clues on how it is that the church did move forward. History tells us, the book of Acts tells us that the church moved relentlessly forward from that moment. That, that although the Roman Empire itself was trying to stamp out this fledgling faith that was growing, right, that, that Christianity grew and it outshined even that very Roman Empire and became this dynamic movement that, that influenced all of history and civilization, right? How did it happen? What are the keys? Let's look at the scripture this morning, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They, being the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, so that they sold property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and with sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then this is the exciting part. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Right? If, you can, if you can read and hear that description of a group of believers growing in their faith and growing in their connection to one another, if you can hear about God at work in the community and, and the desire for people to take what resources God has given them and meet the needs of other people, if, if you can hear about a church where people are coming to faith daily and it doesn't excite you, you should probably ask the person next to you to check your pulse because I think you might be dead, right? This is good stuff. This is an amazing picture. And the question is, how, how does this picture keep moving forward, right? How did they do it? And what we see in this passage, is right at the top of the passage, is we see that they devoted themselves to four key practices. There were four key convictions they were devoted to. And I want to suggest to you this morning that it's the consistent practice of those priorities and being devoted to those activities which took that moment of Pentecost and helped it to become a sustaining, ongoing, irresistible movement. 
the passage says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it says that they were devoted to these four things, and, right? Because you can't be devoted to everything because devotion costs. Devotion requires something of us. Devotion is a commitment that defines us, and we say that it's a part of who I am, and nothing's going to change that, right? Athletes who are determined to have a career in, uh, in athletics and in sports will devote themselves to finish, fin uh, physical conditioning and to the development of their skills. Business owners will devote themselves, right, to, to their business, to seeing that it succeeds, to seeing that it does well, takes advantage of every opportunity. Parents will devote themselves to the raising of their kids and, and sacrifice almost everything else so that their kids can be raised and nurtured well because these things matter. They're these core convictions that define us. That's what it means to be devoted. And, and the writer of Acts says, here are the four things that that early church was devoted to as it moved from that moment of Pentecost into the movement it would become. And the first one was their devotion to the apostles' teaching. And there weren't a lot of, apostle, of apostles. There were a, a lot of believers all of a sudden, right? Can you imagine if this church here, if we grew by 3,000 people in one day, oh, it would be so beautifully chaotic, right? It would be crazy. These 3,000 people then started, they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And to get the teaching of the apostles, they didn't just go to their Bible app or check the internet for where they were speaking. They actually had to find out and go and travel and spend time listening to the teachings of the apostles. We have a real advantage. Those teachings of the apostles have been collected for us and compiled for us. And whether your Bible is in print or whether your Bible is digital, we have access to the teachings of the apostles, and, that, and it's because of that that we can be devoted to them. It takes priority. For us, it means that we make it a priority to be devoted to God's Word. Some of that happens on Sundays when a, when a pastor is up here teaching and speaking and sharing God's Word and teaching about it. That's part of it. But don't confuse being devoted to a pastor's teaching with being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Pastors and teach us, teachers can help us to understand, but it's not the teaching of a pastor to which we owe devotion. It's, it's the teaching of the apostles. It's God's word. And that means the that the responsibility is on us, not just once a week on Sunday, but every day to immerse ourselves in God's word, to commit ourselves to reading it, becoming familiar with it, knowing it, understanding it, it, letting it penetrate our heart and our mind and our soul, and so that it shapes who we think and how we live that way. Look, we want to move forward in our faith and grow and have our whole, even our individual lives, become a movement that God uses to accomplish his will. That will not happen until we cultivate the daily practice of being in God's word and letting it shape our identity that way. Devotion to God's word also means, in addition to giving it priority, it means spending time to reflect on it. Because just reading it is not enough. Here, here was a line of high school seniors who know full well what many of us learned a long, long time ago. You can run your eyes across the words on the page. That doesn't mean you've learned anything. And you can spend hours reading God's word because you're supposed to, but if it doesn't penetrate and get deep, it's not accomplishing what it's designed to accomplish. That just takes time. It takes time to think 
and to reflect and to ponder. It means that the things that pastors share on a Sunday morning don't just end on Sunday morning, but hopefully they, 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 they take root, they begin to grow, they, they uh, cause you to think and reconsider. Uh, church people are really nice and very polite, typically, and so a lot of the time, as a pastor and many of my friends who are pastors, after a message, people will very kindly say, thank you so much for the message, I really enjoyed it, thank you. And, and I receive that for what it is. It is a kindness, it is a courtesy, they're being polite and sincere, and I love that. But I'll let you in on a secret. Most of the pastors I know, myself included, are helping for, we have ambitions that are a little higher than just your enjoyment of the message. We want to challenge you. We want the Spirit of God to change you. We want the Word of God to find its way into your heart in a way that captures your imagination and shapes the way that you live. And so I kind of got into the habit at my church when people would come up after the message and say, thank you, Pastor, for that very nice message. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I got a perverse kind of joy by asking them, oh, wh- which point specifically did you enjoy? And then watching them in that awkward moment, go, oh, he wants me to actually remember something that he was talking about four minutes ago. That's fun to watch. I enjoy that quite a bit. So one guy at our church, he figured me out, and he knew that was coming, and so he wanted to get around it. And so one day he walked up to me at that point where you would, I would expect him to say thanks, and he says, Pastor Scott, I just want you to know, your message stunk today. (laughs) And I said, thank you. What point specifically did you think stunk worse than the others? And he rumbled off and was grumpy. He's a good friend. Hearing God's word is a powerful experience. But I want to let you know that the devotion to God's word that happened in the early church didn't just end at the end of the assembling time. It carried on. It continued. David wrote it this way. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That phrase, that idea of hiding God's word in my heart, right? That that I don't just hear the words and comprehend them with my mind. I somehow take the time to reflect and to think and to massage those words down deep into my soul and deep into my spirit so that they become a part of who I am, so that they begin to shape the way I think and how I behave. And, and when that happens, that's when there's the free, that, that's when I'm at the point where I do not sin against God. That process is a part of devotion to God's word. And that's what's going on there. And then finally, I just want to touch base on this. Uh, it should be self-evident, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can't claim to be devoted to the teachings of God's word on the one hand, and not obey them on the other. Those two don't go together. If we're going to claim devotion to the Word of God, which means we dive in and we study it and we learn it and we understand it to the best of our abilities, right? We're going to do that. If we're going to do that, what goes hand in hand with that is we actually do what it says. And sometimes that's easy. Love your neighbor is easy as long as you got a good neighbor, right? Love your enemy. Forgive those who are persecuting you. Do good to those who seek you harm. Those are really hard. But if we're going to get from an occasional moment with God which feels good but dies and become a movement of people accomplishing God's purposes, we're going to have to become a people who demonstrate our devotion to God's word by obeying that. And that's true on those teachings that are popular culturally, and it's just as true of some of those teachings that are unpopular culturally. 
They did not just devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, however. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. They understood that they were not just saved from something, they were saved into something, and that something that they were saved into was God's family. And that when they said yes to Jesus, they, decarded, they, they stepped into relationship with other believers. And that they began doing life together. They began feeling like they belonged here. And that what God had given them was there to meet the needs of anyone around. They, they lived out a life that had all the descriptors that we saw in that particular passage. And I can't highlight this enough. There's the part of that description where it talks about every day people were being added to the faith. Part of that, a huge part of that, has to do with the community, the relationship, the fellowship that was taking place. Because you can't duplicate that anywhere else. Only the Spirit of God produces that. And when the world sees that, it's attractive. They long to be a part of something the way people are a part of a healthy church and a part of a healthy relationship uh, with other believers. Sadie, the gal who got baptized at Easter, she didn't even attend our church. That was the first time she'd ever been in the building. Her sister started uh, attending our church uh, several months ago because some people in a small group said, hey, you'd, really, you'd, you'd be awesome in our small group and invited the sister in. The sister began to grow in her faith. The sister began to talk to her sister, Sadie, about her faith. And then we had that moment where Sadie says, yes to God, and I have to be baptized. It was this glorious moment when evangelism, where people who are coming to faith are coming to faith out there in the world where you and I live every day. The relationships that you and I can have with one another, the way we live out our community and faith, it can be so dynamic, so powerful, so important that when the watching world sees it, they go, I want some of that. Can you introduce me to how I can be a part of that? And we say, yes, his name is Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to fellowship, and they devoted themselves, it says, to the breaking of bread. And later on, it talks about breaking bread together and eating meals together, which I am all in favor of at every opportunity. But this particular reference isn't about eating meals together. It's about the practice of breaking bread together in the practice of communion at the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup together. And it says they were devoted to that which if you're not careful might sound like, well, they must have done that a lot, like every time they got together. No, it's not just that they were devoted to the practice, they were devoted to the purpose of communion. Because every time we receive communion together, right, we are, we are uh, remembering, we're proclaiming Christ's death, we're remembering what he did so that we could be saved. We're, we're putting it back, we're, we're reminding ourselves of that important sacrifice. And we're very importantly taking the moment of communion to realign kind of our life around this central truth that Jesus died for me. And so my life should reflect that in the way that I live it. I think this is critically important. One of the things that allowed them to move from a great moment into a movement was this regular, consistent, ongoing practice of saying, I have to remind myself about what Jesus did. I have to realign my entire life around that central reality and then live accordingly. And there's a power to that that does not come any other way. And then finally it says they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to that ongoing conversation with the God whom they served. And we all know, right, how human relationships work. The, the the engine that drives connectedness in relationship 
is conversation. And you know, if you think about the, the relationships that are closest for you, the people that are closest to you, the relationships that you cherish, when you think about those, sometimes those conversations are like this, just chat, 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 talk, 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 talk. And other times in those same relationships, it's, it's not so much the words being shared, it's just the time spent listening and hearing and being together. That's the life of prayer. It's sometimes, I've got, I've got so much on my heart and mind that I have to share it with you right now. And other times it's, God, my life is so heavy and the burden is weighing me down. I don't even, I don't even have the words, I just need to know that you're here with me. And it's everywhere in between, but there is no real-time, ongoing, here-and-now relationship with God that's getting deeper if it's not fueled by, the, by prayer. And I think what can happen when a church is a church of prayer is dynamic, and it's powerful, and it's beautiful. But there's no such thing as a church of prayer that isn't comprised of individual people of prayer, right? And in fact, I've spoken kind of broadly about the church and its movement, but I want to kind of wind this time down by speaking to you as an individual. I don't want to give you the luxury of just being part of a church. I want to ask you about you and your devotion. Would you consider for a moment how is your level of devotion related to God's word, related to relationships and community and fellowship? related to the practice of keeping Christ's death and sacrificial moment central to your life, aligning your whole life around that? And how devoted are you to the practice of prayer, of just being with God, speaking with him, and waiting for him to speak to you? And I want to challenge you. God has amazing things in your future and in the future of this church. Absolutely. But if we're not serious about being devoted to those four core practices, it is doubtful we will see those come to fulfillment. And that would be tragic. But by God's grace, it doesn't have to be. I want to pray for you, if I may. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group and for this church. God, I thank you for the unique grace that you have poured out upon it. And God, I want to pray that as this church moves forward, God, that they would do so in a way that on the one hand fully appreciates the incredible moments that you have knit into the story of this church over the years, but God, which also longs to pursue the next things that you have in store. And God, I pray that you would propel them forward and strengthen them in these areas of practice so that that might be accomplished to your glory and in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.